Welcome to the Movement Podcast, a podcast discussing all things happening in the credit union movement. Each episode will feature leaders talking history, current affairs, and how we can utilize our expertise to educate, communicate, and mobilize all to better serve our movement. Here are your hosts, Chris Kem, Austin DeBay. Welcome today. I'm with my co-host, Austin DeBay. As the first full episode kicks off with our president and CEO, Scott Earl. Austin and I, I think our listeners, our members will get a great insight to our leader. His diverse background and our movement, not only as a league staffer and former marketer, but he's been so entrenched in the legislative and the political fights. His experience representing the movement, doing social good, and his overall dedication to make sure that we have a cooperative spirit, but not only leading his staff, but most of the credit unions he represents and they get DE certified. And, you know, with that, I'm, I'm intrigued. What's your thoughts, Austin? There's so many parts of Scott Earl's career that we could have dedicated an entire segment on each section of his career, whether it was his time in Utah, whether it was time working in Washington, D.C. for Acuel, or just focusing on his time with the Arizona League, or, or even talking about what it was like just for the merger between the Mountain West states. But, you know, we have a set amount of time that we, we kind of have in our head of how we want this podcast length to be. And, and we wanted to walk through his career. So one of the things that I found fascinating about the interview is, you know, we could have him back anytime and multiple times to talk about each one of those individually. I mean, he was one of the, the CEOs that has the most insight into what it's like to be attacked by the banks on a state level at the state capitol. And, and just that sort of topic would be great in future podcasts. But I'm really looking forward to hearing the feedback from our audience about Scott Earl and, and, and also for all the audience to get to hear a little bit of Scott that might not know him and just get to know the man that, that you and I know as, as being our CEO and how, how lucky we are to get to work for somebody with that passion about credit and even more passion for his employees. Yeah, I said, I don't think I could have said it any better. He really is one of those leaders that you hate to let down because he leads by example. And it's leaders like Scott that have demonstrated the true people helping people spirit within our movement. And I can't wait for our listeners to get to get an insight how our movement is internally led. With that, let's go. Chris and I are joined today by one of my favorite people in the credit union movement. And I say that because his name is on my paycheck. And that is the president and CEO of the Mountain West Credit Union Association, Mr. Scott Earl. How are you doing today, Scott? Oh, great, Austin. It is an honor to be here with you two today. (laughs) It's an honor to have you. And not only are you a guest on our show, but you are officially our first guest. And this will... Wow. Technically, our first or second podcast, if you put our intro as the first, I don't. So I'm going to put you as our first podcast uh, in my mind. Wow, the beginning of something really great. <laughs> that's that's exciting to be on the ground floor here. So with that, how many, since this is the first year of our podcast, how many years have you been in the credit union movement until you had the opportunity to reach the pinnacle and being on our podcast? Wow, uh, that's that's a lot of math. I started in January of 1982, so I'm just coming up on finishing my 39th year. 39 years. And going off, Scott, I admittedly didn't have a bio to read of yours. I'm sure there's one out there. And I thought, you know, it'd be fun to see if all the conversations we've had on plane rides and cars traveling around the credits, if I can remember your career, because I know you've told me it a few times. So I know... 
I'm pretty sure you started your credit union career in Utah. Is that at the Utah League? That's correct. I grew up in Utah, went to the University of Utah and came right out of the school and went to work for the Utah Credit Union League. What was the reason why you joined credit unions? Is there uh, it was an industry that uh, from a, from a young whippersnapper that you were you was always dreamed of being in the credit union movement? Was there an area that you wanted to be in and, and it, you found yourself in the industry? Be interested um, to hear. You know, going back to, going back to those conversations that we've had about our careers. You know, you started yours mowing lawns at the at the league in North Dakota. I didn't have that kind of a background. My my parents, as I look back, my parents both had credit union memberships of the places they worked, but I was just actively looking for a job coming out of college. And I mean, there's a long story I could tell about how I ended up getting the job, but I went in uh, to interview with the league president. And I, to this day, I'm still not sure why he hired me, but I'm, I'm grateful. And I've told him that on many occasions. And what, what area of the Credit Union Association or the Mount Utah League were you working in? I, uh, I was hired as the director of uh, marketing and public relations. And to be a director coming out of the college was a huge deal. But back, back then, uh, marketing and advertising were kind of bad words in credit unions. A lot of credit unions thought, we don't need to do that because we're different than the other businesses out there. We don't need to advertise. We don't need to market. So I was kind of on the ground floor of the evolution of credit unions becoming more uh, better marketers. Throughout your time at the Utah League, you eventually uh, rose to the Utah League president job. Tell us a little bit about how that transition happened and your experience at the time in Utah. After I was the marketing director, then I went on to to uh, run the service corporation, and then I ran the association side. So I got to do conferences and seminars and lobbying and all of those kinds of things. And I was working for a guy by the name of Dave Adams, who's currently the president CEO of the Michigan Credit Union League. And Dave used to say to me, Scott, if you want my job, you got to find me a better job. And so I would actively look for him a better job. And I remember being in Madison, Wisconsin at a World Council, it was a World Council annual meeting their credit union conference, and that was in 1991, I found out that the president of the Washington Credit Union League was was leaving. So I called Dave immediately. I said, Dave, this is your job. This is for you. He said, yeah, right. And no, I said, no, you really need to apply for this. So he, he eventually did, got the job, and then the board luckily chose me to be a successor. So that's how I got the job as the league president. You should take credit for that was like your ultimate grand plan this whole time was that you wanted Dave to leave so that you could take this good. So uh, that's a really neat story. Actually, I don't I do not remember you telling me that. So that's uh, that's another information to me. So then when you left Utah, when you left the Utah League, again, Scott, I'm going by memory, but I do remember this is I think the first time I actually officially met you. You were working for the Children's Miracle Network. That's probably true. I started with them in uh, 2004. And I ran the Credit Union for Kids program. And, and that was a real blessing for me. I'd gone through, so I was at the Utah League for 22 years. And the last five, we were in just horrendous battles with the banking industry. We were kind of the, the epicenter of banker attacks. And it was, it was all encompassing. I mean, I would get up on a Sunday morning to read the paper. And the first thing I would have to look for is bank credit union stuff and quotes from me. And um, we would come out of committee meetings at the state capitol. And they would shove a microphone in my face and say, so what do you think is going to happen next? That it was kind of a surreal experience to go through. But that happened for 
four to five years of intense battles with the banks. So when I left the league, I really was in desperate need of doing something different. And the great thing about Children's Miracle Network is it refocused me on, you know, politics. And you guys understand this. Politics can be, can be draining. It can, you can lose faith in your fellow man as you, as you work through the political process on things. And the cool thing about Children's Miracle Network is it refocused me on all the good that was happening in credit unions. I got to see how credit unions came together and, and made a difference in children's lives and all the other good things. It really did refocus me on the good of the credit union movement. You know, I, I'm glad you talked about that, Scott, because one of the things I wanted to ask you specifically as it relates to that perspective itself, especially when you talk about your history, um, uh, with the movement, you led us when you came on board, and, and I'm sure we'll touch that in a second, to get very involved with development educators. And talking about Children's Miracle Network, it, it kind of goes hand in hand with the perspective of why we exist and what we do. Did your role as a development educator or when you went to DE, how did that change your view as a leader, particularly going forward? Because your best stuff still hasn't come out yet. How did it change your focus? It was a dramatic shift for me, as I think as it is for most DEs. So I, I mentioned I started in January of 82. I went through DE training in December of 82. So I hadn't even been at the league a year. I was in the very first class of development educators. So we're coming up on 39 or 30. Well, we're on the, the brink of our 38th anniversary of the DE program. And I was there right from the beginning. And uh, when I took the job at the league, I thought, boy, this is a two-year gig. And then I want to move on to some Fortune 500 company and eventually become their CEO. Um, those, those were my aspirations. But I went through the DE program and it changed everything for me. It made me realize that I was in an industry that could make huge differences in people's lives and, and was across the world. And so... Yeah, it, it really did change my focus. You then also served as, correct me, I, I don't know exactly the title, but you worked for the ACUA, which is the American Association of Credit Union Leagues, which is basically the, the trade association for the credit union state trade and regional trade associations. Tell us a little bit about, about that role. And I know you did spend some time in Washington, D.C. While, while serving in that position. Uh, yeah, I did. So towards the end of my career in Utah, I was also the chairman of the uh, Vacuum, and uh, and so worked a lot with CUNA staff then. And right after Hurricane Katrina hit at the end of two thousand or the in August of two thousand five, there was all credit unions wanted to step up and help the credit union people in Louisiana and Mississippi after that horrendous storm, and uh, CUNA was overwhelmed with. Uh, how to coordinate that. And so I ended up coming on board with CUNA to coordinate disaster recovery. So I spent a lot of time in Louisiana and Mississippi, and we, we developed some of the things that are that are still going on today, the, the program that the foundation uses, CUAID, we created at that point uh, between ACUL, CUNA, and the foundation. And so it was a great time to get involved at CUNA. And my plan, and I was, they were going to allow me to work from my home base in Utah, and I would report in, in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. That lasted for three or four months, and then there was a, a shift and an opening for a VP slot with Acuel. 
So I was vice president of league relations. I became vice president of league relations and director of disaster recovery and preparedness, I guess. It really got long title. Um, but they, they put me on the senior management team and, uh, I got to interact at all, at all kinds of levels. It was a great experience working closely with, with Dan Micah, the former CEO of CUNA, Rich McBride, who was chief operating officer, Susan Newton, who I still to this day consider a mentor, who was the executive director of ACUAL and uh, senior vice president at, at CUNA. That role was, was, Lots of fun. I really, and, and when I took that role uh, with Acule, that did move me to Washington, D.C. So I, I lived in D.C. for just shy of two years. Loved the city, loved the atmosphere, loved being involved on that, at that level with CUNA. Um, I still look back on that time with, with a lot of fondness. Yeah, I'm sure and it gives you like a unique perspective of being able to see it from the national lens and had already seen you'd previously seen it from the state side now you got to set up from the national side and then the next step of your career was moving to the great state of arizona out back west one of my proudest moments was there was a transition period before you came to arizona that you were still serving in acula but you had already been announced the ceo of this arizona and i said i, I had met you before but didn't really know you and I don't think I've ever even told you this before, but I got, it was Pat Bodner, who uh, we both think of very fondly. She was my uh, manager who hired me and uh, was your senior VP at the association. She was the one that recommended that I, we had a trip coming out to Washington, D.C., is I reach out to you ahead of time without you know, the CEO yet and say, hey, you know, would you like to go on Hill visits with me? So. Uh, you, I know you brought that up before, but I don't think I've ever told you that uh, it was Pat Bonner's idea that I stole from her. So the, the sucking up was was real on my end, and I took full credit for it. And Pat encouraged me to do so. But no, Pat, being the selfless person she is, she uh, encouraged me to to do that. So I thank her dearly for that because I know it's something that you've remembered because you've mentioned it uh, to yeah, me. I, I do remember. It was a good experience <laughs> having that opportunity with you. I wish I could say that I didn't take credit for a lot of Pat's great ideas as well. So <laughs> she popped me up for the for the time we worked together too. So yeah, she was the type that would be mad if you didn't take credit for it. Um, <laughs> if, she, if you brought it, put it back to her, she would not have liked it. But yeah, That's so true. so speaking of the time, I know I'm I'm, I'm combining the Arizona and the Mountain West time. We we obviously started with the coming out to Arizona and through the um, years we transitioned and, and merged with Colorado, Wyoming. But looking back at your time in Utah versus your time with the Mountain West Association and Arizona League, I'm just curious how, how you noticed any differences there or how your experience working with CUNA and ACUL may have changed your perspective a little bit and just the times were so different. So just speaking to that. Well, the times were very different and uh, the atmosphere, you know, the last, as I mentioned, the last bit of time in Utah was was hard work. Part of the reason I wanted to come to Arizona is I'd had the opportunity to work with Arizona credit union leaders through CUNA district meetings back then, got to interact with a lot of the great uh, longtime leaders at the Arizona League. And my sense was that Arizona credit unions work together really well. And I wasn't disappointed when I got the job and had the chance to get to Arizona. I found that uh, the Arizona leaders, while they may have had problems with one another from time to time, there were no big feuds or rifts or anything like that, which you sometimes get in other states. And I was very grateful for that. So that's part of what drew me to Arizona. 
and the the differences as it relates to us coming together it it's been it's been unique watching three states come together uh the differences and you guys understand this the differences between each state the differences in personalities and how credit unions interact it does vary from state to state to a degree but at the same time there's a lot of as you compare Utah Arizona and Colorado and Wyoming all of those states have a lot in common and maybe it's just credit union movement in general has a lot in common. There's just a lot of goodness. I have never had a credit union CEO that I've dealt with that I've I've questioned their motives. Um, I generally almost always can count on, they, they, they may be misguided in those motives from my perspective from time to time, but I know that it's coming from a good place. And how many other industries can make that kind of claim? Um, we are just inundated with goodness in the credit union movement. And, and motivation coming from the right place and that's taking care of credit union members yeah and working in the legislative side it's the same thing is the state's legislatures are completely different but they all have the same now i will say they differ in the sense that they're not they don't always go come from a good place like credit unions do but uh, for the most part you know state legislatures are our politics is the same but also the politics of each state is so different and, and we truly do see that on our end all right, boss, you know, from the last segment, you talked a lot about how we got to where you're at today. And I like to, you know, before I came to the credit movement, I came from another movement. And one of the biggest things that attracted me to the movement was how everything that we do, and, and Austin talks about this a lot, is the social responsibilities aspect of our credit union movement. And so the term industry comes up a lot because it's easier to say, as respect to the business world, because that's how people see us. But the founders of our movement really wanted to stay away from the term industry because we exist for that social purpose. So when we talk about how this podcast evolves, we really want to touch on our history of the movement. But more importantly, where are we with the future of our movement now? And in in your perspective, where are we going? So the first thing I want to ask is, uh, what do you think is the biggest issue affecting our movement today? You know, it's interesting because I've heard this said, and it was said fairly early on in my career from some of the uh, pioneers, that um, the risk to our movement is not from outside, it's from inside. That we may make the wrong decisions, do the wrong things, that we implode ourselves rather than attacks from the outside, if that makes much sense. And my point in bringing that up is that really is the, the biggest hurdle for our movement is finding ways that we continue to cooperate. Cooperation is what got us here. We need to hang on to that. We are still, even as our, even our largest credit unions in our three-state footprint are not large enough in the, in the big scheme of things, and they, they've all said that to us. We need each other to be successful. And that happens through the association. You know, Scott, that's a great point. One of the things that I look at specifically with our movement, and I, I want to use that quote. I think I'm going to tagline and market that quote that you used or paraphrase it. When we look at what's really weighing us down, if you will, it is internal. It, it is that it, it's not so much external. We, we focus on that a lot, but the internal prospect the competition in the sandbox stuff is real and we have to maneuver around that stuff. But more importantly, we do have leaders in our movement that do come back and they bring us back all the time. 
uh, today we had it in, in our meeting that we had earlier today. We talked about some of the legislative priorities that are going on. And one of the CEOs stood up and said, that may not be something that's good for us, but if it's going to be helpful to the rest of the credit unions, that's something we should go pursue because it's going to help us in our movement. And I think you're spot on. It's more internal than it is external. We do have to keep our eye on both. But thinking of that, where do you see our movement going? We're in 2020. We had a crazy year. Where do you see us going? Well, just staying on that same thing, united, we can go anywhere. The The basic principles that drive the credit union movement are good for people and will always be good for people. Now, can we adapt to the new technologies and the, and the way the future generations want to receive their financial services? I sure hope so. And there's a lot of progress that's been made. That probably is the, the, the next big hurdle is are we going to adapt or become dinosaurs in how we deliver our services? And we've seen, you know, there are all kinds of things that are happening with online banking services today that you're seeing advertised, that you're seeing millennials and the different younger generations grab hold of. And so that's where we've got to get much better. I definitely agree with that. As a DE myself, we learned the operating principles and number seven always sticks with me. And that's cooperation amongst cooperatives. And how do we get that piece back into our movement? So uh, Dr. Likings used to talk about this all the time, that the more we lose our segments and our credit unions, the more community-based we become, the less cooperative we are. And so it's going to take a lot of our leaders within the movement to put that cooperation back in our Yeah, movement. it's got to so, be a concerted effort. It's got to be everybody focusing on that. The minute a credit union starts thinking, oh, I can do this on my own, I don't need to work with other credit unions, that's where we start getting weaker. And uh, we'll eventually lose the movement if we're not careful. But just backing up a second. So you're a DE. I'm a DE. Austin, are you? A, no. No. Are you? Should we? I think we need to make that a, a priority in 2021. Yeah, a challenge for 2021. Austin DeBay, development educator. <laughs> That's why the world's coming to an end because Austin hasn't. Actually, become a yeah. DE. Yeah. That's what the DE and DBase stand for: is development oh. education. I already have. Oh, it was actually named after yeah. you. Right. So, is a father who was in the industry, a mother who was in the industry, an uncle who was in the industry, a girlfriend who was in the industry. I was born with the DE title of Austin DE Bay. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. Yeah. Well, I stand corrected. Yeah. Thank you. One last thing uh, in this segment. You talked about this a little bit is, are we moving forward the right way with technology and, and serving our members? I know as association staff, we do a lot of work to making sure our credit unions have the ability to continue to serve their members. And we want to make sure nothing gets taken away from that ability. But how would you like to see this podcast evolve as a tool with the new technology to move forward and move our movement forward? Gee, I don't even know if I have an answer for that, Chris. That's, uh, I was kind of hoping you two would figure that out for us. My hope is that it really aids in uh, communication and that feeling and, and helps to build cooperation within our Mountain West family and beyond, honestly. I really hope we can extract the history and let others, one, learn who we are and who's representing the broader interest and that we're no different than they are in their efforts in leading their credit union. They could be a staff or they could be a member. I'm really hoping that we can uh, find 
the right mixture of information to get out to really either spark their their interest in driving our movement or finding other collaborative ways to work with each other. Touching on one thing, Scott, that you had mentioned at the beginning of, of the segment about, you know, the industry, we have to look at the potential that the industry's problems are not necessarily going to be external and it's more of an internal Looking at it from our lens of the the legislative political, I completely agree. And I think adding to that list would be we could become obsolete by not doing anything. And the the lack of action within the credit union industry is is a threat as as well. And because we need to be engaged in the legislative political process, no matter how painful it can be, and even as someone who works directly legislatively and in politics, it is painful. It is not fun at times. Sometimes it's not fun even when you win, uh, the stress of it all. But not participating in the exercise of politics and advocacy, you have what causes external groups or other industries defining who you are. And it's important that we continue that advocacy and that we require credit unions to do that and speak with the credible voice that they have because they are an industry that or we are an industry, we are a movement, Chris, that has a lot more to say and a lot more credibility to it when we talk about financial services issue. I like to say we operate at the 60 at the 40 yard lines of, of politics where we aren't on any extreme level of issues. I think that's why we appeal so well to Republicans and Democrats. That's a really good point. And I I don't know there's much more I can add to that, but I yeah, honestly, everybody has to be engaged. You know, I talk about we need to be together, we need to be unified, and that's where our strength comes from, whether it's finding new products and services or if it's fighting battles in Washington, D.C. or at the state capitol. Um, it comes from us working together, but there's an additional step, and that's the engagement uh, at each individual credit union level with CEOs and staff members that that will step up and engage with lawmakers. And we need that in the worst way. We can go in and talk to folks, but it means a whole lot more when, when they know that we're, we're representing a group of people that are willing to engage and get, get involved in everything. So, Scott, you've told us a lot about your career. And you told us about the future of the movement. So let's have a little fun with this last question or two and just uh, get to know you a little bit more. What are some things that you enjoy on a personal level? Obviously, I know you're a parent, a grandparent, and when we get our our reports from everybody at the beginning of the week, I know a lot of your time is spent either with them when we can be together or going back to Utah to see them. But what are some things about you just on a personal level that uh, the audience may not know? Well, yeah, the, the biggest thing really is grandparents. Bonnie and I, my wife Bonnie and I have had, uh, we had four kids. They all have had kids now, and we are the proud grandparents of nine grandkids. I had a friend once tell me that the only reason to have kids is to have grandkids, and uh, we're finding that is absolutely the case. But beyond that, things that uh, I enjoy doing, I grew up with my parents having a boat, and we've pretty much owned a boat for the last 35 years, something like that. And uh, I love boating, love water skiing, and that's morphed into... We've got a boat that you can surf behind, uh, wakeboarding, all of those kinds of things. A lot of water sports. We're scuba divers, done a fair amount of diving over the years. Those are some of the things. Golf is not, it's something I've always done, but I've never done well. 
Uh, so I don't know. Uh, those are just a couple of the, the things, uh, skills. I have none, but there are things I enjoy doing. Yeah. And I tell you, I just kind of go back to your career. I, I obviously, and I know Chris and, and even you, uh, we have this, this affinity for West, like being living in the West. And, and as long as we're not too far West, there's a perfect amount of being West. And I think I, I personally feel this and I, I assume you all do is that we live in the best region, uh, Colorado, Wyoming, Arizona, and, and, and I'll even put Utah in there, even though we're not, I wasn't to represent them, but it is, it's, it, it, there is just a different attitude out West. There's, there's these recreational activities that you talked about. I know you spend some time, uh, each year up at what's the, what's the lake that you, you visit? Lake Powell. Lake Powell and you make yeah. a family vacation. I, it's just, it's just this unique experience to the West that, doesn't always get talked about because we're kind of younger states. We don't always have the culture as those back east, but there is this unique culture about West that once you live here, I feel like most people fall in love and want to come back, even if they left for some time. Yeah, you know the the winter sports, all of those kinds of things are a part of our life too. But it's part of living here, and I'd never really thought a lot about it growing up in a state with all of the opportunities that that our three states provide. But I, I served on the U.S. Central Credit Union Board of Directors, which used to be the corporate's corporate back in the day. And it was headquartered in Kansas City. And I would go in and meet with those guys and we would have monthly board meetings. And so I would fly into Kansas City once a month and uh, talking to the staff, they would talk about how there wasn't really any, you had to drive hours to find something to do in those regions. And that's not the bad mouth Missouri or Kansas. But there aren't the same kinds of opportunities that we seem to take for granted in Arizona, Colorado, and Wyoming. Oh, that's that's so true. And you know, one one of the things I and I'll probably take this as an opportunity, but one of the things I find that sometimes we take for granted is your values and your family. You really bring that in your leadership to our movement, specifically with our staff. And it's much appreciated because you're very family first oriented and that says a lot for our movement because everything that we do is focused on making sure our credit unions can serve those very families in need. So it's interesting that many people may not know that about you, but we see it day in and day out how how you value that probably more than anything that we do around our shop anyway. Well, thanks, Chris. I Family is everything, honestly. Yeah, and we get that. We get that and you encourage us to do it as well. And we truly do appreciate it. I know I joked you being my favorite person because of the paycheck, but it truly is the truth that I, you know, if it wasn't for you being our CEO, I don't know where I would be right now. And I really owe most of my career uh, to you and you're, you're just giving us the opportunity to succeed in our jobs. And we do appreciate that. Well, you guys know too, that I wouldn't have my job if you weren't doing such a good job. So going to Arizona, Austin, you were fairly new on the job at that point, but you had already won credit unions over and lawmakers over, and it was easy to see that, and you're good at what you do. And Chris, the strength that you bring to the team and the, the background and the experiences and dedication, you guys are, are amazing, and it's just great to be a part of this team. So thank you. Well, I know we certainly appreciate that none of us are in this job to look for any kind of thank yous. It's a thankless job, and that goes to our leaders of all of our credit unions. I do, Chris. I look for the thank yous. Uh, just kidding. Well, they always for for Austin. They're always there, yeah. though. So, yeah. um, <laughs> but we have to we have to say thank you because you're you you're allowing us to 
be creative. And, and this podcast was something that we really wanted to get off the ground and we really needed your blessing to, to roll the dice. And uh, Austin and I and our staff has worked really hard to try and make this right and, and make it appealable to our movement so that we can try and, and infuse much of that cooperation as possible to get, get our movement roaring as strong as it was when it built us up. So on behalf of Austin and I, I want to thank you for taking time today and, and, and hopefully our listeners will get to see that personal side of you that we get to see and enjoy every day. We're looking very much forward to see how this is moving forward and going on in the future. And, and I know uh, we'll probably have you back on a couple more times uh, before we're done. I would be honored. This has really been fun, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Thank God. you. Well, that's all for today's episode of the Movement Podcast. Special thanks to our guest, Scott Earl, my co-host, Austin DeBay. I'm Chris Kim. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, have a great day. Well, that's all for today's episode of the Movement Podcast. Thanks for listening and thank you for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe to your favorite podcast listing app so you never miss an episode. Or visit us on Twitter at CU Advocacy.